Morning, everybody. I like getting that discipline of uh, uh, this recitation of the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God, especially with a scripture reading like this, because it trains us to say thanks be to God, even for things that seem odd and uh, maybe we don't know that we need to be thankful for. Um, so that, that discipline is, um, is meaningful. Uh, thanks, uh, Becca, for that announcement. It takes away all excuses for those of you who are uh, <laughs> reticent about getting involved in, in the children's ministry. Uh, so, buckle up. We're looking at Leviticus. Um, <clears throat> we're continuing our series, uh, our Lenten journey to the cross, and looking at the significance of the cross, the meaning of the cross, and today, the cross takes us to the book of Leviticus, and to a, a slain animal. <laughs> uh, and we're, we're going to end up at the cross, um, but we're going to going to start here. I um, I hit a squirrel on the way to church today. <laughs> Sometimes uh, sermon illustrations just present themselves. You can't. You can't make this stuff up. Oh, well, I could make this stuff up, but Matt was with me in the car this morning, so he can vouch. Um, and I did not swerve to hit the squirrel. I, it, I just, I, I heard a thump, and I, I said, what was that? And Matt said, it was a squirrel. So that's what happened. Um, but coming, uh, had a little firsthand experience with the death of an animal this morning, so I'm sorry. I am getting a read on who I'm preaching to this morning by who is laughing and who is looking at me with horror in their eyes. <laughs> so half of you are really going to enjoy this, and the other half, you might walk out. I won't be offended. Well, well rather than starting in Leviticus, maybe the New Testament would be a, a good place to start. There are a number of images of blood, the significance of the blood of Jesus in the New Testament to talk about the significance of the cross. And maybe you grew up in a tr tradition where you talked about the blood of Jesus, you uh, pled the blood of Jesus, amen, Pam. You um, called down the blood of Jesus, maybe um, to, the, to the horror of others around you, sang about the blood of Jesus, to those who are unfamiliar and uninitiated in the Christian tradition, Maybe the blood of Jesus um, gives you pause, and maybe now looking back on your tradition growing up, you think, man, that was a little bit weird that we did so much talking about blood and singing about blood. But maybe, maybe that's, that's not foreign to you. Maybe you were kind of schooled in the tradition in a way that made those images meaningful to you in a way that continues to today. Well, we're going to take another look at that today. And um, so we'll, we'll begin in the New Testament, a number of images of blood. So uh, in Acts 20, verse 28, Paul says, be careful, pay attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. Or Paul in Colossians chapter 1, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in Christ and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. Kind of get a sense for some of this imagery. Peter, in, in 1 Peter chapter 1, knowing that you were ransomed from the feudal ways inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold, but with the precious blood of Christ, like that of a lamb without blemish or spot. An image of a lamb without, without blemish or spot. 
or the author of Hebrews in Hebrews 9, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats or bulls, as we saw in the scripture reading, and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. So, interesting, what, what makes the, all these multiple references to blood sacrifice in the New Testament all the more curious is the lack of gory detail in the Gospels when it comes to Jesus' death. So we know that it's a, it's a gruesome crucifixion, but we have really very little detail about the blood of Jesus, the, the details of the nails going into his hands, for instance, or those sorts of things. In popular, the popular imagination, right, we might have more of that, but really in the Gospels, we're left, um, we're left to, our, to our imaginations. Um, despite the lack of vivid, gory detail like we see in Leviticus, we just read the first five verses of the book, it, it gets cooler from there. Um, <clears throat> the blood of Christ really does become a central image for early Christians. In fact, references to the blood of Christ outnumber references to the death of Christ three to one. How interesting. So the blood of Christ really kind of becomes a stand-in for the death of Christ kind of a shorthand way to refer to the crucifixion and its, its significance. So why the preoccupation with blood sacrifice among New Testament writers? Well, I think there's a, a simple yet critical point that we have to keep in focus to help us sort of understand what's going through their minds when they're writing about the blood of Christ. And that is, and this is obvious to most of us, the early Christians had no New Testament. They're writing the New Testament, not aware that they're writing the New Testament, but they're using the Hebrew scriptures. So their single source for making sense of the significance of Jesus' death is the scriptures that they knew. That's our Old Testament. Everybody on board with that? Understand? Okay. It's an important distinction. It's, it's a fairly obvious one, but it's an important, uh, important point to make up front. So it was their commitment to the Hebrew narrative, poetry, prophecy, law and wisdom literature that really shaped their imaginations and shaped how they thought about the significance of the cross. So just to take a, a, a quick break here, a pastoral note for you. If, if you're thinking about um, a way to study the scriptures that might shed new light on narratives that you're really familiar with, think about putting yourself in the position of an early Christian using the Old Testament as your sole source for making sense of what you know of Jesus. So go back to the scriptures and think, okay, Let's wipe out the New Testament. Of course, that's impossible for us really in our minds. But if we uh, go to the effort of thinking, okay, no New Testament. Let's go back to the scriptures, keeping in mind the event of Christ's death, his resurrection. Now let's try to make sense of the significance of that using only the Hebrew scriptures. And we might get close if we engage in that exercise to really what's going through the minds of the early Christians as they write the New Testament. Think about the significance of Jesus' death. So, applying this approach to the crucifixion, if you had the Hebrew scriptures and you were looking for a way to say that Jesus, by his death, covers over sin so that we can be set apart for relationship with the living God, what texts would present themselves? What texts would present themselves? There's an important, another important distinction to make here between the literal blood sacrifice of animals, like we read about in the scripture reading, that was an effective metaphor to describe the significance of what Jesus' death on the cross accomplished. 
So that, that literal death, that literal blood sacrifice described in the Old Testament is an effective metaphor to describe the significance of what Jesus' death on the cross accomplished. Does that distinction make sense? Really a couple important points to, to make clear up front here. And I want to also make clear that we're not saying that Jesus' death on the cross is in any way a metaphor. Right? He literally died on the cross. That was a historical event. That would be a good spot to say amen. That happened. <laughs> that happened. And historically, three days later, he, he was raised. Amen. And we'll celebrate that here in a few weeks. Um, <clears throat> but that, that really happened. But it's also, if we can do a, a both and thing here, if you'll just, if you'll work with me. I know we love either or, but if we can just move past that to a both and sort of a thing, it's a literal death that Jesus died, but it's also blood sacrifice is an effective metaphor to talk about the significance, the meaning of what Christ accomplished for us on the cross. Does that make sense? Thanks for your head nods. Um, I, well, never mind. <clears throat> Um, I spent the weekend with a group of pastors in Iowa, helping them um, uh, kind of strategize about the future of their churches. And it's um, it's part of my it's part of my nine to five job. So I don't I don't work here at the church forty hours a week, but but my job is to kind of help resource and consult with smaller church pastors. So I, I did that this weekend. So you'll have to forgive my my voice. I was doing that all weekend, and a lot of what I was getting was, and this is being recorded, so maybe I shouldn't say this, but was blank stares, so I'm desperate for a little bit of feedback. <laughs> so the, the first, <laughs> so an answer to this question um, of if you only had the Hebrew scriptures, how would you understand Jesus' death? An answer that might immediately present itself is the image of the sprinkled blood and the shed blood outlined in the books of the law. Not simply because of the actual literal bloodshed on the cross, although there was literal bloodshed on the cross, but because of the significance of blood as a means for a sinful people to be reconciled to a holy God. So, the, the first kind of overarching point is this. While the language of blood sacrifice might sound strange to our ears, it was a familiar metaphor among early Christians. So it, it sounds strange to us, and understandably so, but it was a familiar metaphor among early Christians. The Old Testament sacrificial system, this is Fleming Rutledge, who wrote a great book on, on the crucifixion that we'll be looking at more in coming weeks. She says it has a gentleness about it that is hard for us to see from a distance. But perhaps we can grasp the general idea of God's patience and kindness in giving his perpetually wayward people the means to stand before him. Sacrificial system has a gentleness about it that is hard for us to see from a distance. That's for sure. It's hard for us to think immediately of gentleness when we read Leviticus 1. That might take some, some work to get there. So to say that the idea of blood sacrifice was familiar to Jewish Christians is perhaps another difficult thing for us to imagine, but it, but it really was. In Hebrews chapter 10, verses 2 and 3, we read, if they could have provided a perfect cleansing, the sacrifices would have stopped, for the worshipers would have been purified once for all time, and their feelings of guilt would have disappeared. But instead, those sacrifices actually reminded them of their sins year after year. 
So these are continually sac continual sacrifices. These blood sacrifices are over and over again as atonement for sin, provide a means of approach for a sinful people to approach a holy God. We also read in Mark chapter 14, verses 22 through 24, of Jesus instituting the Lord's Supper, this sacrament. He uses this image of blood. And it's easy for us to read back in Mark and think about, okay, of course Jesus is talking about his blood sacrifice, but if we put ourselves in the shoes of the original disciples, or the sandals, as it were, um, we might think, um, oh, Jesus is saying something about Hebrew scripture sacrifice of animals, not necessarily about his own death. Does that make sense? Because he has not yet died, so that they're not necessarily thinking about Jesus' death, they're thinking back to sacrifice in the Hebrew scriptures, that blood sacrifice. So Jesus says, maybe we can put ourselves in the disciples' position here. As they were eating, Jesus took some bread and blessed it. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples, saying, Take it, for this is my body. And he took a cup of wine and gave thanks to God for it. He gave it to them, and they all drank from it. And he said to them, This is my blood, sirens going off here, which confirms the covenant between God and his people. It is poured out as a sacrifice for many. Um, so, leads us to point number two. So, point number one, again, while the language of blood sacrifice might sound strange to our ears, it's familiar to early Christians. Point number two, in the law, blood sacrifice is the means by which restored relationship with God is made possible for a sinful people. So, again, a comforting image, perhaps, might not present itself to our ears the first time we hear a scripture reading like the one we heard in Leviticus 1, but... It's really true. So in our scripture reading, we read uh, in verse 3, if his offering is a burnt offering from the herd, he shall offer a male without blemish. He shall bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting. And here it is, that he may be accepted before the Lord. So there's an implication here that he wasn't accepted, wasn't acceptable before he brought this offering. Uh, so in other words, sin caused a, a tangible separation between man and God that we have to be reminded of and that has to be remedied. So this tangible separation, since we're not offering animals, it's hard to keep in mind that our sin does create such a tangible separation from a holy God. And Fleming Rutledge, again, I'll, I'll lean on her again. She says it better than I could. She says, God himself has already ordained the means whereby we may draw near to him. The ordinances of the Torah are not a, not a catalog of tribal customs. They are gifts from the living God. So the gentleness in these texts that we might miss out, they're really a gift from the living God. So I might say it this way, and again, this is not as good as filming Rutledge, but here it is. God, because he is love, is determined to offer his grace to us in a language that our experiences and our histories have prepared us to understand. So think about that in terms of, of the Israelites um, and the, the early Jewish Christians, their history and their experiences of blood sacrifice and internalizing these Hebrew texts, um, that has prepared them to understand God reconciling himself to them in a certain way. So by by extension, if we extend this forward to, to our time, we might say something like that. God, because he is love, is determined to offer his grace to us 
in a language or in a way that our experiences and our histories have prepared us to understand. Amen. <laughs> um, amen for that. The third point, blood sacrifice, and we'll kind of camp out here a little bit more, uh, jumps off the page. Think about these early Again, early New, New Testament writers. Blood sacrifice jumps off the page and becomes shorthand for early Christians to communicate the significance of Jesus' crucifixion. So we're in an oral culture, so it might be better to say uh, the scriptures, the Hebrew scriptures echo in the ears rather than jump off the page, but you get the point. Echo in the ears of the early, of the early Christian hearers. So again, put yourself in the shoes and imagine... Uh, uh, the attention with which the early Christian leaders searched every syllable of the Hebrew Bible, seeking to understand the significance of Jesus' death. So, again, Fleming Rutledge, anyone reading Leviticus and thinking of Jesus at the same time, so reading Leviticus and thinking of Jesus, it's kind of a crossways way to do it, right? But that's what they're doing. Anyone reading Leviticus and thinking of Jesus at the same time could hardly fail to notice a phrase like, a male without blemish, from Leviticus 1. This is the sort of detail that would jump off the page of the Hebrew scriptures in those first years after the resurrection. Does that make sense? So we see this on display in the New Testament, probably most clearly in the book of Hebrews. There are a number of important Old Testament motifs at work in the book of Hebrews. So first of all, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is superior. It's it's successful, in other words. It produces the desired result. In Hebrews chapter 9, verses 13 and 14, for if the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer, amen, sanctify <laughs> for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ? So, again, Hebrews is a... Is a difficult and challenging book, but it starts to kind of open itself up to us if we look back at Leviticus and read Christ with the grain of, of Leviticus. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? Amen. Secondly, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is final. Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12. And every priest stands daily at his sacrifice, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. So I want you to notice the contrast here between the priest standing daily, standing periodically, Standing, And then this contrast that the author of Hebrews makes, Christ, once for all, sits down at the right hand of God. There's that contrast between repeatedly over and over in Christ with, a, with a, the proverbial mic drop, as it were, in his crucifixion, sitting down at the right hand of God, ending this system because of the effectiveness of his sacrifice. Thirdly, Jesus' sacrifice on the cross is once for all once for all. So if you read through the book of Hebrews, and I'll, I'll just put a plug in here, I have begun listening to uh, the Bible on the, um, I guess it would be uh, version. maybe, I don't know, there's an app, I should have found out what app I use, uh, but I, I have found out that if I listen to it on my phone, 
it won't, uh, the audio won't stop after every chapter. It will just continue right through. And I have turned it on in the Bluetooth in my car, so turned off like, you know, NPR or whatever else I listen to and fill my mind with anxiety and things like that. And I've, I've just begun to do that during, during Lent, and you might consider this as a practice that you would begin. But it is fascinating to me. I, I can get through the New Testament in two or three days, and maybe that's saying that I spend too much time in the car, but it really does go quickly. So I crank that baby up to like 1.5 speed, and <laughs> it's not the best way to, if you're looking to soak in the scriptures, probably not the best way to do it. But if you're looking to get through the New Testament and really see some themes arise in books, rather than just chapters, um, and in the, across the scope of the New Testament rather than just a book, uh, it's a great way to, to, to kind of immerse yourselves in the scriptures. Um, so, all that to say, in Hebrews, you'll notice a theme if you, if you were to sit down and read it all at once or listen to it on a, on a drive, uh, you'll hear a similar theme pop up, and it's actually the title of the message today, but that's just once for all. The author of Hebrews says once for all a number of times in the book of Hebrews. Let's look at a few of those. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 27. He has no need, again, pointing back to the Old Testament, like those high priests, to offer sacrifices daily, first for his own sins and then for those of the people, since he did this once for all when he offered up himself. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 12. He entered once for all into the holy place, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. Hebrews 9, verses 24 through 26, uh, and I'll just, I'll just read 26. He would have had to suffer again and again since the foundation of the world if this system had continued. But no, as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the age to remove sin by the sacrifice of himself. Amen. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 10, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. Once for all. So how do we, how do we apply this? We've looked at the ashes of heifers and the blood of goats and bulls. What could possibly be the application point in a, in a sermon on the significance of the cross as it relates to blood sacrifice? Well, I, I make a couple of suggestions. The first is really a kind of a practical one. As Christians who take the scriptures seriously, we need to hear the whole narrative in order for the important parts to make sense. Uh, Jesus' significance, the significance of what he accomplished for us on the cross, the explanation of that and our understanding of that is not limited to the time that we spend in the New Testament. And to better understand the significance for both for the first Christians who wrote the New Testament and for us, we should look back. But I encourage you to read through the Hebrew scriptures with an eye toward Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross. So secondly, uh, we serve a God. And musicians, if, if you want to come, we'll, we'll wrap up here in a moment. Don't miss this, though. Uh, we serve a God who is always providing a way for his people to approach him in relationship. So if we're going to imitate him, the question becomes, are we sacrificing ourselves, our ego, our, our own need to be right, for damaged relationships to be restored?
So relationship might come to mind even now. Holy Spirit, would you give us eyes to see those relationships? Secondly, we serve a God for whom restoration of relationship is always on the table. It's never off the table. So you might think of a a relationship that is uh, so far gone or somebody who seems so far from Christ. Maybe there are parts in your own soul as you've done some searching during this Lenten season that you think, (laughs) there is a need for some serious reconciliation. Uh, Maybe there's a family member that comes to mind. Let me encourage you this morning. We serve a God for whom restoration of relationship is always on the table. And if I could just play with language here for just a second, it's always at the table. So we'll come to the table in just a moment. Restoration is always possible for us at the table. It's always on the table. It's never, never off the table. It's never thrown out. So the question for us becomes, given that point, to what lengths are we willing to go to maintain or to restore relationships with those who have wronged us? And there are certainly parameters here for, for our own safety and well-being that I'd, I'd encourage discernment and caution. Um, there, there might be times for a relationship to take a break. Uh, so if somebody has continually wronged you, I'm, I'm, I want to be sensitive to that. But at the same time, as followers of Jesus, we serve a God for whom reconciliation is always on the table. So how might we be agents of that reconciliation? The realization that it's always on the table. It's never, never off the table. We serve a God without limits. At the same time, we serve a God who acted decisively in history by the blood of his cross. So again, there's that contrast of this historical Jesus making this historical sacrifice by his blood. All of these gory details bound up in that to make this effective and and fitting metaphor, this historical event that that really happened, literally, on which we stake our lives (laughs) and our faith, the specificity of that, along with the limitlessness of the God we serve. He's a God without limits, willing to go to such great lengths to preserve, to reconcile in relationship. So, would you join us at the table this morning? Uh, would you stand as we, as we pray? <clears throat> Lord Jesus, we stand today as the beneficiaries of your sacrifice once for all. We thank you, Lord Jesus, today for saving us for making possible the means by which we might approach you, a holy God. And we recognize, Lord, that it is your love that compelled you to do so. May your love also compel us to go forward and offer ourselves as sacrifices so that others might come to know your ultimate sacrifice that was once for all. Lord, you are limitless. And, let, and yet you made yourself no limits that we might come to salvation. We give you thanks and we are forever in your debt. We are also forever in your hands. So as we celebrate today, we recognize 
God, your great goodness to us, your great kindness and mercy. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen.